continuing with uh, the sermon series about Christmas perspectives. You know, examining what all these individuals who were around Christmas, who were involved, what they thought about what was happening around them, the feelings that they had, uh, the the reactions that they had to God's truth. Last week we looked at Mary, and we saw that her uh, perspective of Christmas was what? It was worship. She understood what was happening from God, what was happening in her own life, and that resulted in her worshiping the Lord and having that beautiful, beautiful uh, worship song that she wrote. Today we'll be looking at Joseph and trying to figure out what was his perspective. What did he experience? Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray once again. God, we do ask that you would be with us as we study this passage this morning. That you would use your Holy Spirit to reveal to us the, the meaning, both for who Matthew was writing this to, but also, Lord, the application that we can make of it this morning. We thank you for the faithfulness of Joseph. And you chose such, uh, even as Matthew puts it, a righteous man to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the example that he is to us. I pray that you would help us as a church this morning to be attentive, that we would learn from your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, again, we talked about this last week, but when we look at these stories, sometimes we do have that association that they're just stories. That these people who lived this out, that they were just uh, fictional characters in, in some kind of fairy tale. That we could never be like them or know what they're going through. But they were real people. Real people who experienced real emotions that had to make real choices. What were they going to do about this, this birth of Christ? Uh, Joseph, this morning, is going to be an example to us, a good example. Uh, in a couple weeks, we'll look at Herod. We'll see his reaction and see that not everyone reacted in the same way. Uh, but Joseph this morning is very similar to Mary. But I, I want us to ask the question, 
for us to apply this passage this morning, have you ever been hurt? I mean, really hurt. Uh, not physically, but maybe emotionally, uh, spiritually. Who, who, who is the one that can do that? It's not just anyone, right? A stranger can't really hurt you all that emotionally. You know, I, I, I tell people a lot that I have thick skin and short feet. All right, that, you know, it doesn't, people can tell me all kinds of things. It doesn't really rattle me. I, I have thick skin and I'll, you can't step on my toes because I've got short feet. All right, um, strangers don't really bother me all that much. They can, they can have their opinions and say something about me. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. But what does get me and what has gotten me in the past, just as it is for you, it's loved ones. People that you really care about, that you, that you love, that you've had relationships with, that you've uh, poured your life into, and when they hurt you, or even that you perceive that they have hurt you, what does it do to you? What is the reaction that you have? Today we're going to be looking at Joseph. He's been hurt. Hurt by the, the, the person he loves more than anyone. So let, let's examine what his reaction is to all of this. As I read we, uh, in verse 18, I'll, I'll read again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, or in this manner. When Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Alright, so Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Uh, they are engaged. All right, but not just in the way that people are engaged today. All right, th this was this was a deeper connection than that. Um, it, it's basically that they're legally married uh, under the law, under the uh, the customs of the Jews, that they would be legally married, but they hadn't lived together yet. All right, so uh, this is his wife. This is his wife. Not that he's going to get married to her. He doesn't uh, at this point have a, a choice in the matter, all right, of saying, well, I'm going to call the marriage off, all right? He's legally entitled to this woman, all right? And we see that she's pregnant, all right? But we also see some of the character of Joseph. Not a lot is known about Joseph, by the way. Uh, we don't know where he goes to even when uh, Jesus starts his ministry. A lot of theologians think that maybe he's died or that the, the gospel writers are trying to take the, the, um, the importance off of his earthly uh, aspects and more to his spiritual aspects of being from the Father. Uh, so there might be that, but he's not, he's not really talked about what later on. We see Mary, and we see uh, uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters, so we know that they had more children. All right, but Joseph is out of the picture, really. And all that we really have to see who this man is is this passage. Uh, we see also when Jesus goes out uh, and leaves his family for a couple of days and stays at the temple and he's teaching their teachers. All right, we see a little bit there, but here is really where we get all the meat about Joseph. And we see that he is a righteous man. The word righteous means being in accordance with what God requires. He's a good man. He's a good man who loved God and wants to obey God's law. This righteous man then is put into the, 
an incredibly difficult, uh, impossible situation. What to do about his wife? He's married to her. She's pregnant. You do the math. What would Joseph have thought? Last week we talked about what maybe the, the neighborhood thought of Mary. Right? Mary's saying, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant, but it's from God. And everyone is probably laughing and mocking her. Yeah, right, it's from God. You know, they, they would call her all kinds of horrible names. We looked at that with the, the, the culture aspect. But what about Joseph? What would he have thought? His wife is saying that she's pregnant and that it's from God. Can you imagine the emotional hurt that he is feeling? He's been betrayed. The woman who he loves and wanted to spend the rest of his life with, in his own eyes, from what he can perceive, is that he, she cheated on him. She betrayed him. She abandoned him. She pursued the world. She pursued uh, lust. That's what he would have to imagine, right? That's, that's what he would have to think about. And so he is considering, what do I do? Uh, the same could be said for us when we are hurt by the ones that we love. What should be our reaction? Well, because he is a righteous man, we, we're going to see a beautiful reaction to all of this. Well, he knew he wasn't responsible. We talked about that for a pregnancy. So he assumes then that she's cheated on him. And as a righteous man, his response, uh, it could have been anger, right? That's what it could have been. Again, these are real people who are given real choices. It could have been anger. It could have been wrath. It could have been jealousy. In his mind, again, he was betrayed, humiliated. You know, not just that he doesn't get to be with a woman he loves, but everyone knows Everyone knows. The whole town knows. Well, what does that say about him? He's a righteous man. He wants to do right by God. He wants to have a good reputation. And this has happened. Well, it says that he is unwilling. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to public shame. Couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He loved her. Even though he was hurt, he was still compassionate and righteous in his thoughts. He didn't want to have her killed. And again, that, that's what could have been done. That was the law. Uh, and, and Joseph could have taken that and said, you have hurt me, you're going to get the just fruit of your reward. You know, let's, let's find whoever she slept with, put him out of the town, and according to Deuteronomy, stone them. That's what could have been done, and many times was. This was the normal way of acting. But he's unwilling to put her to that shame. He's, a, he's, he's loving. This is a great example to us. And in your notes, you'll see it on the back there in the bulletin. A righteous man's response to hurt is love. A righteous man's response to hurt is love. And just so that we're all aware, this was an arranged marriage. This was mom and dad getting together with another family and saying, hey, let's have our kids get married. So 
And sometimes we look at that in the, in the Bible and we say, how barbaric. How could they do that? Well, here we see that Joseph really did love her. So God even uses those arranged marriages. And so because he is unwilling to put her to that shame, to have her stoned or even that other people are mocking her, he doesn't want to put her through that because he loves her. Instead, he resolved to divorce her privately. And your Bible might say uh, to put her away. Right, resolved to divorce her, basically. He resolved this, this meaning that he made up his mind and was not going to change. He was making plans to put her away. Uh, again, uh, the response could have been killing, but here uh, there was another way. And this was common in Judaism at this time. When we see Deuteronomy, when it was written, this was the way that it was done, uh, that uh, that she was supposed to be stoned if there really was a sin that she had committed. Right? But uh, as time progressed, uh, the Jewish nation got a little bit more liberal. And here, divorce was looked down uh, or looked at as culturally, it was all right. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't the best. You'd still be humiliated. Uh, people would be talking about you around town. Right? But uh, this was an appropriate path for her to take culturally. I'm not saying you know, in the Lord's eyes, but again, she did not sin. Right? But uh, the culture was all right with that, so that's what he decides to do. I'm going to put her away. He resolves to do this. He wanted to do this privately. Not only was Joseph saving Mary's life, but he also wanted to protect what reputation she had left. He's keeping everything quiet about this divorce. This also shows how inconcerned he is for himself. A righteous man's response to hurt is love, but also a righteous man's response to hurt is selflessness. Selflessness. He's not wanting to show himself to be the righteous one. He's not putting out a, a press release saying, I didn't do it. Uh, you know, I'm divorcing her. Look at me. See, I'm the righteous one. She's the one who has done this. Uh, this week, I was reading uh, about a pastor. His name is Tullian. Last name I can never say. Uh, but uh, it's Billy Graham's grandson. Uh, you might have heard of uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that comes from him. Great theology. This man had fallen, uh, but uh, he, he had had an affair on his wife, but he put out a, a press release to the Washington Times when this happened a couple years ago, three years ago, I think. Put a press release out to the Washington Times. This man is from Florida, so what is he doing writing the Washington Times? All right, But he, he says, I, I didn't do it. Right, uh, that she did all these things. I tried to repair my marriage, but it's her fault, and I then sinned because she sinned first. Basically, what was he doing? He's trying to save face, right? Yes, I I sinned, and this is bad, but she's worse, right? Joseph could have done something like that could have thrown her under the bus and said, yeah, I'm divorcing her, 
And it's because of this, because of what she's done. You know, look at her. She's pregnant. I didn't do that. I'm righteous. He could have done that. But he is not concerned about his own reputation. He is not concerned about what other people are thinking about him. No, Joseph wants to deal with it privately. And it says, as he considered these things. Again, could you imagine? He's probably pacing. Pacing in his room at night, thinking and rethinking. And Mary's uh, saying this from God, and he loves her, but he can't believe that impossibility. And he's just going over it and over it and over it again. He's mulling over it. And then, boom! An angel. As he's thinking about these, he's considering these things. The idea is that it's very late. Very late. It's in the middle of the night. And he's thinking about these things, and boom, an angel comes. And it says in a dream, he probably fell asleep thinking about all these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this angel shows up, and he calls him a name. He says, Joseph, son of David. That's important. All right, this has two purposes. To help us see that Joseph was in the line of David. Uh, that is a necessity for the Messiah to be born. All right, he needed to be a descendant of David, to be even from the town of David. It also has another purpose, to show Joseph, this is why this is happening. To start to set, um, set the foundation of what he's going to tell him, this message. All right, son of David, this is who you are. You are a descendant of David. This whole time, Joseph had been probably saying things like, why me? Why is this happening to me? How could she hurt me? Now he can understand that he is being given a special blessing. To be the one in the line of David, to be the father of the Messiah. That's incredible. Something that they had been waiting for for thousands of years. A prophecy. We sang songs this, uh, songs this morning about his faithfulness. You know, and we look at that and when we think of his faithfulness, we think of him coming back to rescue us, Right? Uh, the rapture, we, we look at that, and that's something that's in the future, and we want look forward to that. We look forward to being with Jesus. Right, for them, what they looked forward to was the Messiah, him coming down, setting up his kingdom. They didn't understand what that really meant, right, but that's what they looked forward to. And for David to hear these words, son of David, that was important for him to understand. This is why this is happening. You know, an angel shows up, and you're thinking, all right, Mary's words are making a lot more sense now. And he gets called the son of David. And he says, do not fear. Why? Because he was fearful. Because he was terrified. As righteous as Joseph was, he was still fearful. Fearful about Mary's betrayal, that it was true. Fearful of what his neighbors and family would think. But the angel is saying, do not fear, or do not let fear dictate your response to the situation. 
A righteous man's response to hurt is courage. It's love, it's selflessness, and it's courage. It says, do not fear. Not just in a way that, you know, a lot of times when angels come down, they say don't fear because everyone's terrified because there's an angel right there. Right? He's saying, do not fear to do this. So Joseph wasn't fearful of the angel. He was fearful of taking this action. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. This was still his desire. Joseph wanted this. Despite everything, he loved Mary and wanted to be with her. God is saying through his servant, the angel, that this legal marriage would not be torn apart over this issue. Joseph was free to marry her without any fear. Why? And here comes the mind-blowing news. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What? That which is conceived in her, this baby, is just like Mary had told him. It's from God. He, he must have just been knocked out with that, that news. The baby has no earthly father. Mary was honest. Mary was pure. But rather, through the Holy Spirit's power, this new life was born. Now, we have, we've all heard this. We know this. You know, you talk about Christmas, we understand the, the virgin birth. But did we know that the virgin birth is completely essential to our faith? It is not something that you get to say, yeah, I guess I believe that. I don't know. No. This is 100% an essential doctrine for Christianity. Why? John MacArthur puts it this way, no issue is more important than the virgin birth to our understanding of who Jesus is. Because the virgin birth is all about the nature of Jesus. In two ways. This is in your notes. The virgin birth retains Jesus's divine nature the virgin birth retains Jesus's divine nature his dual nature Chalcedonian theorem all right 100% God 100% man in one being if he is not born of God if there isn't this virgin birth, that he's not from God, then how, then how could he be divine? If he's not born of God, then how is earthly Jesus God? He can't be. It's as simple as that. If we don't have the virgin birth, then Jesus is not God. And if he is not God, then he's a liar. If you look in... Uh, your notes here are in your bulletin. I put a quote from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, Henry's middle name is Clive after him. He's one of my favorites. He says this, Either this man, talking about Jesus, was and is the Son of God, 
or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has, uh, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Either he is God, or he is a liar and a lunatic. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be equal with the Father. If he is not born of a virgin, then he is not God. And thus, he is a sinner. And if he's a sinner, then he can't pay for anyone's sin. He would be just like us. The virgin birth gives Christ no sin nature. No sin nature. If he has an earthly father, then Jesus has a sin nature. Romans 5 tells us that the sin nature is passed through the father to the child from Adam. This is known as the federal headship view. So in, in light of this, if Jesus does not have an earthly father, then he does not have a sin nature. And thus can be that sacrifice for mankind because he is sinless. Each one of us is born with a sin nature. We call this original sin. Right? It is passed on through our father. So you can blame your dad. Right, but it's passed on through your father, and you have that sin nature. You are condemned in Adam. If Jesus had an earthly father, then he too would be condemned in Adam. And because of that alone, regardless if he never sinned during his life, but if he has that original sin, then he cannot be the Savior. This is why the virgin birth is so important. It retains Jesus' divine nature, and it shows he has no sin nature. It makes it so that, yes, he can be 100% God and 100% man. This would have been incredible for Joseph to hear. It says that she will bear a son. Here we have a little prophecy from the angel. These things will happen. This baby is going to be a boy. Good news for a dad. Uh, especially in this time period. And especially in regards to fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah. It says he will do this. He will do this. The Messiah was to be a man. And he says you will call him Jesus. First time that we see that. The first time that we hear that beautiful name. You will call him Jesus. This is the name you are to give your son, the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is a derivative of Joshua, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means God will save. So Jesus would be salvation. He will be it. It's not... God will save. It is right here. Jesus. 
Jesus will save. He will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel says. Jesus was going to finally bring that redemption that the people of Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years. It's not that God will save them, but specifically Jesus, who is God, he will save them. Think about Joseph experiencing this news. First, Mary's being truthful. She's been pure. This baby is from God. This baby will be a son. He will call his name Jesus. And he's going to save you, Joseph, from your sins. Imagine the joy, the relief that Joseph was feeling. All this took place. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Here is the purpose for everything that's been happening. The virgin will conceive. This prophecy is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's fulfillment to a prophecy that just seemed crazy. What? This doesn't make any sense. That, that's impossible, God. And it's so impossible that they looked at it, and even though the word means virgin, a lot of translations say young woman. Because how could God follow through with this crazy uh, prophecy? Let, let's just say young woman. It's too crazy for God. But it does mean virgin. And God makes the impossible come to pass. He says that he will be Emmanuel. This is what the world will call Jesus. Joseph and Mary, they're going to name him Jesus, but other people will ascribe this to Jesus. He will be Emmanuel. We know what that means. God with us. But that's, that's really what Jesus was. Who he is. He's God with us. God manifested in the flesh, the image of the invisible God. As Paul puts it in Colossians, he's with us. It's not just that God is on our side. We sing the song, the God of angel armies is on our side. That's a beautiful statement, but it's more than that here. It's not just that he's rooting for us or that he sides with us, but he's closer than he's ever been before. He's there physically, there with his people. And he is still, today, for those who believe in him, right there. Despite difficult situations, when the impossible is facing us, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. When loved ones hurt us, he is God with us. Well, what is his reaction to this? That's really what we want to get at. We have this story, we have these beautiful words, but what is his perspective? Does he accept it? Does he reject it? Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he's going to do something. It shows the urgency. It's not saying that, you know, a little while after Joseph had a good night's rest, he decided to, well, you know, he had breakfast and then got ready for the day, and then eventually he did these things. No, it's when he woke. It's, it's immediate. Uh, sometimes my wife asks me, 
uh, can you do this? And I say, yeah, I'll, I'll do it in a bit. And sometimes she has to come back and say, Dean, <laughs> you didn't do it. It's been a bit, a long bit. You need to do this. I'm sure your spouse or parent maybe has asked you the same. You say, I'll do it later. What does that say about your devotion to the person that is asking that question? It shows you that you aren't really passionate about following through. No nudging, no nudging. All right, about following through uh, with, with that uh, command. But there's something else that is more important that you have to do first. That's what we think when we say, I'll do it later. For Joseph, he doesn't just sit there and say, wow, that was some dream. Let me think about it for a while. Let me consider all of these things. He gets up right away. As soon as he wakes up, shows his dedication, his faithfulness. He wakes and he does. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And it was a command. All right. So Joseph has this obligation to do this. It's a command. But he does it willingly and faithfully. He doesn't put it off. As soon as he wakes, he obeys. This shows Joseph's perspective on Christmas is faithful and radical obedience. It's faithful and radical obedience. Despite all those things we talked about of why it would be so difficult for Joseph to do all these things, of the emotional pain that he's probably going through, of the ridicule that's all around him, of why he was fearful to take Mary as his wife, all of those things, he gets this command from God, and he does it. He does it faithfully. He does it radically. He, he's all in. What is it that God has called us to do? In your maybe private time with the Lord, maybe you've read a passage and you've been convicted, and you've put it off. And you said, ah, I'll, I'll do that eventually. Let me think about it. No, that's not what God requires. God requires faithful and radical obedience. Don't put it off. Do it. That's what Joseph does. He takes Mary as his wife. He obeys, and he knows her not. That would be a difficult thing for a newlywed. doesn't even get to have the joys of having a wife. He knows her not until birth, the birth of Jesus Christ, and he calls him Jesus. Joseph obeyed God even when it looked like an impossibility. God told him what to do, and he was faithful. His righteousness was evident in his obedience. They go hand in hand. If you are not being obedient to God, you are not righteous. For Joseph, he shows, yes, he is a just and righteous man, and that's evident in his actions. It's evident in, his, in the love that he shows Mary, and it's evident in the obedience that he uh, acts in toward God. This Christmas season, perhaps we are faced with an impossible situation difficult situation, maybe an emotional hurt from a family member, emotional hurt from a friend. What should we do? What should our response be? Well, God has called us to faithfulness. 
question for us, much like with Mary, is will we believe him? For us with Joseph, it's will we obey? Will we be faithful? Will that be our perspective of Christmas this year? Radical and faithful obedience. Let's pray. God, I repent. As I've read this passage, even this morning, it has convicted me. I know for all of us, Lord, we we have difficult things that are in our lives, struggles that we go through. And despite all that, and even through all of that, you have called us to obey you. Whether that means saying no to a spiritual habit that's everywhere in our life that we seem to can't get rid of, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Whether it's forgiving a loved one who who has seemed to have wronged us, help us to be faithful. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is that we know the truth, but we've been putting it off, God, help us to repent. Even for myself, Lord, I repent of that. Help me to be faithful. God, I pray that you would be with us as a church. You have called us to many things. To be the salt of the earth. To be a light to the Gentiles. To the nations. Help us to be faithful. Lord, to to minister to our shut-ins, to minister to widows and orphans. Help us to be faithful. God, in all that you have required of us to do, help us to be faithful even this morning. Lord, as we, even in a few moments, as we prepare for communion, that is all about faithfulness. It's all about what Jesus went through for us in obedience to you. And he calls us to obey him. Let us not eat that bread or drink of that cup unworthily, Lord. Help us to be faithful. We give you the glory that enables us to have faith. It's you. It's from you. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, it is a gift from you. We cannot boast in it. Lord, help us to be faithful. It's in Christ's name that I pray.